How many of you have your GTS degree? Going to seminars? You can tell who has their master's in GTS because your bookshelf is full of these odd-shaped binders and you wish they'd all have the same size so it'd look more even. And everything you ever wanted to know or anybody who comes to you wants to know is in those booklets. Books, so if they come to you with a problem, say, ah, well, just a minute, let me look, see if I can find that. I usually gauge how good a seminar is, how helpful it is, by answering the question, what am I going home praying about? Might be a good question to ask the Lord of all that I've heard. What things do you want me to go home praying about? Engaging with you further about, I sort of made my own little symbol and I used to put it in the margin, you know, with an arrow or something that I'd write some key words and that was my, my thing to remember at the end of the seminar when I got home to go through, put those things on the list because those were the areas that the Lord wanted me to keep praying about. Because if it's true that prayer equals, prayer is a sign of dependence, then um, what we're saying is, boy, I sure need you, Lord, to open these truths up to me or, or show me how to apply it or show me how to avoid the cookie cutter or the idolatry of methodology or everything else that we've said. And remember, for those of you that may have come in late, don't forget to pick up your bucket of grace on the way out. You can get two. There's more than abundant grace. That's That was so good. Paul says, he doesn't say, well, all that I went through, the grace just sort of matched up even. He says there was more than abundant grace. I had enough to give away. <clears throat> okay, here's Mrs. Miss Newby again, new Christian. And uh, I see the topic is rebellion. And I, you know, never gave that a thought before. I mean, I never heard about this before. What, what is rebellion anyway? Excuse me? Second layer of rebellion. Second layer of rebellion. <laughs> His neurons are firing all in the right order. I know that. <laughs> Could you expand on that a little more? Could somebody else expand on that? What is, I'm this new Christian and this rebellion thing, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> well, you better watch, I'm a Yankee, you know, get the ribs down here. Tell you what. It's an anti-Yankee, I don't know what it is. Choosing to go against authority. Well, then, you know, here she comes again. Well, in this past week, has rebellion been any part of your life? Could you give me an example to help me understand what this thing is all about? Oh, God tells us to do something. We don't like what? What kind of stuff does he tell? What have? What has he told you that you haven't done? No, don't go there. But, you know, we need to keep going down with this so that Rebellion doesn't stay this, oh yeah, I think the Bible's against it, you know, so I'm against it. So. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what if I'm the newbie? I say, well, how come brushing your teeth is re- not brushing your teeth is rebellion? I don't get that. Does it say in the Bible you have to brush your teeth before you go to bed? <laughs> is that Second Amos or something like that? My mom would tell me that's it. <laughs> What would you say to this person who just comes from, I'm not putting pressure on you, but if you want to add some more, go ahead. You mean I've been sinning for like all these years, and I didn't even know that the Crest Company was aware of that fact? <laughs> okay, tooth decay is like, I think I knew that because I heard that pastor telling about that, I got that part, but. I don't know. I think maybe I must be like in in half, in fifty percent rebellion because I do brush my teeth in the morning. <laughs> How can you help me understand this? Understand rebellion. Oh, okay. Can you give me an example from the life of someone else? Not that you've experienced it. <laughs> Honoring your husband. Well, like, okay, I can see that, because that says that in the Bible there. Well, what about the things that it doesn't really say totally, right, specific in the Bible? Like, you know, the crest verse, you know, about twice a day. Or if you're into works, you do it four times a day. (laughs) Over here somewhere? Nope, I must be seeing things with this bright light in my eyes. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh, now he's getting closer to our toes. Say that again. Reserving for myself the right to make final decision. Is that like kind of when I think I know what God would probably say if I ask him if this was right or not, but I'm, I'm willing to hear him out and get his opinion and then make my final decision. That sounds like rebellion, doesn't it? Um, I learned a lot about what rebellion was like from looking at the first rebel when Satan fell, his attitudes, his rebellion, his defiance, his exaltation of himself. That's a pretty good definition of rebellion, I think. My concern is these teenagers that show up at my door and your door. My concern for them is twofold. One, many of them are enticed by their culture, by their own desires, directly by the enemy because of their dabbling in things, to get involved in rebellion. But I'm also concerned about those that come, like me. When I was 13, it was one of three attempts to run away from home. As I said, nobody knew what was going on in my home. So this was a second attempt, and the police took me they, everybody knew everybody in the small town. They took me to my pastor, and he said that I was a rebellious teenager for running away. And he said that um, I was to obey my parents in all things. He left out in the Lord. 
So I interpreted that as meaning he told me to submit to my father's sexual desires because that's what he demanded and I had to obey. And he told me that I'd never get anywhere until I dealt with the rebellion in my life and then he sent me home. What if I show up in your office? I hope that this session steps on some toes because I think when our toes get stepped on, it makes us think things through better. Besides getting mad at me, which is okay, because I get to leave tomorrow. So. <laughs> and I have no forwarding address, that's all I know. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I just put out the cards. How do you know what's underneath? Or is it true? I, I heard... One godly man who has since changed his position, but his original position that he taught in his worldwide ministry was to the wife, if your husband is abusing you and the children, what submission means is you stay there and just trust God that he'll work things out for you. The thousands of people whose lives who now believe either they've stayed in things and watched their children be sexually abused in the false guise of submission, or they've decided that they're going to separate unless that person gets help, and they believe that they're disobeying God and turning their back on his submission for them as a wife especially. I don't believe that. I had a call from a lady a couple years ago I'd never heard from her before. I don't know where she heard of us, but our ministry. But soon into the conversation, I became aware that she had a loaded revolver cocked and put to her head. It was even more tragic when partway in the conversation, I heard the little preschooler on her lap making noises. She said, there's something going on in my life that I am convinced is demonic given what I grew up in, we were in the occult and this and that. My husband and now my pastor say that it has nothing to do with that, that um, I'm just mentally ill and they want to put me in a mental hospital. The last time I went there, I got raped by the orderly. I'll die before I go back to the hospital again. And when she said, you know, I could... By God's grace, I have never been so close to not knowing if I would hear a sound at the end of the phone. But she didn't. She put the revolver down. But I have to tell you, I had lots of mixtures of flesh and spirit in my reactions against the pastor and the husband. It may have been out of ignorance. It probably was. But I have known people who have said, well, no matter what your husband says or what your father says, you just have to do it. That's not what I see in Scripture. I'm very, very far away from divorce. God hates divorce. What about separation? What about temporary separation? Um, and I have to say, it's probably a mixture, like I said, of my flesh and my spirit in my response. But when that key leader said that, you know, if you're being abused and your children are being abused, just trust God and stay in that relationship. 
I have to say that sounds like advice from someone who's never been beaten or never watched their children be raped by their husband. That's my concern when some of the teenagers show up in our office. The symptom may be rebellion, and they need to deal with that. But the solution may not be to say, well, you're just being rebellious and you need to learn to submit. How different it would have been in my life if the pastor had been a safe person so that when the police took me there, instead of giving me a lecture about being rebellious and needing to submit to my father, who in their eyes looked great, he was the superintendent, everything was fine. Church was the only place he treated me tenderly. He'd put his arm on my shoulder and it was wonderful, you know. That's all they knew, so it was out of ignorance that they said that. But I want to be careful when we talk about rebellion that we don't jump quickly to say, well, it's simply a matter of your deciding to give in, whether it's to God, whether it's to a person of authority in your life. <clears throat> because the hopelessness that that brought to me, what it taught me is, God has an answer for this. I don't think he wants me to be treated this way. But the church and my pastor are the last place I, I can look for help. How different it would have been if I had escaped when I was 13. So let's kind of put that in context as we talk about rebellion. So that we don't, um, we don't just deal with rebellion. What, what is there that in many ways is the source of that rebellion? Does that excuse rebellion? No, when, when kids or others are being rebellious, that's not something that you just gloss over, but let's be more listening and ask lots more questions. Like if my pastor had said, can you tell me why you ran away? And if I thought that he really cared and wouldn't run right away and tell my father, I probably would have told him. Dealing with rebellion. It says on page M1, from First Samuel, rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Remember, this is when Saul pulled a Hagar, he got out his credit card. Remember, he was going to fight against, I think it was the Philistines, and Samuel said he'd come by 2.30 or something. And Samuel wasn't coming to bless the people, and Saul got nervous. So he pulled out his credit card and said, well, I know I'm not supposed to like lead the worship service and do the sacrifice and all that, but I mean, I can't depend on this Samuel guy. He's a prophet anyway. How can you depend on prophets? And who knows when he's going to show up, you know? Or whatever went through his mind, he rushed in and entered into a place he wasn't supposed to in his arrogance. I can do it just as good as Samuel. You know, I've been in the service a lot of time. I think I take this thing over. And... Because of that, God talks about that rebellion. He calls that rebellion. The seeds of rebellion implanted in abuse. Again, I stick this in here because I don't hear anybody else talking about it, and I think it's important. Again, we're not talking about making an excuse for rebellion. We're talking about getting at the core issues and helping that person choose God's way. When a person is abused, especially over a long period of time, 
there is a defiance that comes. I will never again let myself be vulnerable. It's like this upraised fist. There is... Um, many of the people that you minister to and come to our office, there's a characteristic of them. They have this incredible rage inside against what's been done, or they might not even know, but they just have a rage. Um, Thirty years ago, I didn't know any pastors that understood spiritual warfare, because they said if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry because you leave your devil and alone and he leaves you alone, so don't worry about it. But they also said that Christian counselors weren't, you know, no one to take you to the Word. But they did, finally, it got so drastic, I kept, they kept rescuing me from 66th floor of high-rises in New York City where I was about to jump off and doing other crazy business. And um, So they thought, you know, I think this lady needs counseling. So they took me to a quote-unquote Christian counselor, which was pretty much a disaster, which I won't go into, but because of his own wickedness. But one of the things that I realized at that time was um, I have this terrible, murderous rage, I called it, inside of me. Well, he was a pastor's son, but in however many long I counseled with him, he never mentioned the name of Jesus Christ, never prayed with him. He was very bitter against God. And so he said, well... Why don't you, that's just repressed anger. You just need to let that come out and just express that. And I said, well, the only problem is that rage, and that's what I call it, is so strong, I'm afraid it will murder you and anybody else, and it wants to murder me. I didn't, I had forgotten all about wicked spirits. We worshiped in our home, we worshiped Satan and the occult, and yet I just had this total amnesia about what had happened there. So I didn't realize that this being, I said, it's like there's somebody inside of me that wants to murder everyone. And in his twisted theology, he said, well, that's just because you've repressed it for so long. When you talk to people and they talk about this rage and anger, this is almost like 100%, I found. The normal anger that we have as human beings against the wickedness that was done to us as a child the enemy adds his murderous rage to it. And sometimes it's helpful just to have the person pray, Lord, if the enemy has added his rage to my God-given anger over the unrighteousness, I just cut that off and I just hand it to you, Lord Jesus, just do with it what you want. And then they're just left with their anger I see this a lot in teens that have been abused, and then they say, I will never again let anybody do that to me. And instead of being incited and being livid that someone dared treat a child of the king or a daughter of the king, son of the king, the way they were treated, the enemy brings his thoughts of rebellion, and they get all tangled up in there. So if you just pound away at the rebellion part of it, you really don't have much success on moving that person toward that broken and contrite heart because it's a mixture. Abuse always sometimes makes the person also say, God didn't protect me, so I will. It's that self-protection thing we, we talked about. 
to become our own protector. They may also believe authority is evil. Authority equals pain and violence. So there you are telling them, not knowing what's going on, you know, you need to submit to authority. Say what? Yeah. How can you, I mean, most of these things I'm citing, it's because the person that they come to doesn't know what's going on. I mean, how can you know except by asking the Lord, what's the real problem? Rebellion is a problem. Is there another problem here too? And asking a lot of questions. Well, what do you feel the problem is? What is your main problem? Where did you come to this point? What brought you to this point? Why didn't you ask the Lord, is there anything that he wants you to know right now as we sit here? Any truth that he wants you to focus in on? Asking more questions rather than sort of uh, coming against the obvious rebellion that's there. And once the Lord gives clarity and understanding, then you really know what's going on. Repressed, repressed, um, I'm sorry, I misspelled that. Uh-huh. Um, that's a good point. Your question was, well, if a person has turned their back on God and they basically become a deist because why did he allow this? And they don't want to pray to God. Um, when, remember when I was saying how important I found it that the person chooses truth or lines themselves up with truth? Do we need a new microphone here? Oh, questions. All right, good. Or comments. That's good. Uh, it's hard. I keep forgetting to get it on the tape when we don't repeat it. Um, Okay, brain, let's cycle back. Second cup of coffee? No. Um, they don't want... Choosing is important, I mentioned. Well, you might keep backing up till you find a level where they will engage their will and choose. I was talking to a person shattered with the DID, and those of you that aren't familiar with that, um, obviously God hasn't brought anyone across your path yet where you need to know that. You may never do that. But some of you I know have ministered in those arenas. And it's as though if a person was severely abused, and I mean Holocaust kind of abuse, when they're 11, when you're talking to them, they're 32 years old now, but when they think back and remember things, it's as though they're 11 again. So it's just like there's an 11-year-old in front of you, even though the person is really 31. Well... I was, self-protection is a real strong issue when the person's been that shattered. So I was talking with someone and suddenly they became like probably like a 14-year-old. And they, I don't want to hear about this God stuff, you know. And uh, I said, they said, well, where was he? Why didn't he stop it? Blah, blah, blah. So uh, they're real antagonistic. So I said, well, why don't you ask him that? I don't talk to him. I haven't prayed in years. I'm not planning to start now. Now, if I busted in and said, you know, this rebellious attitude is really a problem here. We need to get this taken care of. Well, yeah, but that wasn't the real issue. What was driving that? Um, I said, well, would you mind if I prayed for you? I never pray for somebody. I never say, let's pray, and then I pray for them. I always ask their permission because that's helping them 
in some measure agree with what I'm going to pray because they've chosen to allow me to pray for them. Do you mind if I pray for you? No, I don't want you to pray for me. Okay, so I thought, well, usually it doesn't go this far. So I thought, well, is it all right if I pray silently for you? No, I don't want you to pray <laughs> So I said to the Lord, Lord, usually it doesn't go this far here. Usually say, oh, okay, go ahead. So then I had a God-given moment of inspiration, and, and I said, is there any part or place inside of you that wants me to pray? Oh, yeah, there's all these people that like God and the religious and God. Because I figure, you know, when we become a new man in Christ, our spirit's in the Holy Spirit, and that thing there only wants God's way. And uh, this person was just, oh, yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to be agreeing with them. Let's pray. You know? um, this last one, for some reason, I put the word repressed there. Um, the idea is that my will is overpowered. So I'm helpless. And it's funny because people come with rebellion problems and what's preceded that is even like if there's been severe verbal abuse or character assassination going on in their home, they think, well, doesn't matter what I choose anyway. You know, when you have a person who's sitting there oozing rebellion, if there's some way for you to find out how do they view God and how do they view themselves? That'll tell you a lot about what is the source of that rebellion. If you feel as a teenage girl like trash, you live like a slut because you feel like one. Or if you've been told, you know, you never do anything right, you never do anything right, you never do anything right, um, you'll be thinking, what's the use? I tried my hardest and do it right, I don't care anymore. There's a giving up aspect of rebellion in some kids' life or adults that is the main issue. Um, when it says that verse about, I'm not sure if the mic is working totally, is it? Yeah, okay. When it says don't exasperate your children, you know, if you look at what that word is, they just give up. Nothing they do is right. And the enemy is real quick to run in and distort what you've said as you've been training them to distort how they view themselves. I was living with a family as the Lord was bringing healing uh, early on in my own life as a young adult. And they had three kids. And the first child was very sensitive. Danny, he was highly sensitive. He could always feel the pain of somebody else, you know, or the dog that was sick. Or, I mean, he just oozed compassion. Well, his dad used to give the mom a break. Every Saturday morning, he'd make pancakes with the kids and serve mom breakfast in bed. Not a bad idea. Anyway, um, he would honor her in that way. Well, here's Danny working on the pancakes. Next thing you know, well, where's Danny? Danny just had run from the room. He was about six or seven. So the dad hunts up Danny. He's hiding under the bed. Well, what are you doing under here? He said, I can't do anything right. Because what had happened was the dad had corrected him because he was doing something where it might have got caught on fire. So the, hey, hey, don't do that, you know, to alert him because it was, you know, he didn't want to get the thing on fire. And 
the enemy had taken what the father had said and said, see, you never do anything right. And to this day, Danny wrestles with that lie. As a matter of fact, Danny has turned his back on the Lord. He says, I'm not so sure all that I grew up with was even true. Was it the Father's fault? No. But the distortion that the enemy brought to him, in it, it, the rest of his life, where he's at now, the rebellion that he's in now, I believe, is a lot based on how the enemy was able to build in his life lies about God's love for him and lies about himself and his his worthiness. And it ended up that he couldn't measure up, so he gave up trying. So I think that sometimes the repressed will that comes, the overpowering that comes from physical violence or sexual violence, people just give up trying. Maybe it's a good question to ask people when they come in. Like I said, they're just oozing this defiance and rebellion. Um, anyway, embedded lies. This is especially one of the aspects of rebellion where there's been abuse in the past. When I give in, I will be hurt. Now that doesn't seem logical. But if that's been true since you were three years old, I remember going to Sunday school and again, this dear teacher she said, do you fight with your brothers and sisters? And I'm thinking, yeah. Because I had a brother that was 13 years older with me than me, and he had lots of friends. And when he and they used to come for me, I used to fight, and I used to scratch them. And the teacher said, do you ever bite or fight or scratch? And all of us, yeah. She said, well, God doesn't like that. You know, God, you need to go home and tell your brother you're sorry that you fight with him. Well, by God's grace, I didn't go home and do that. Because somehow the Lord ministered to me, she's not talking about things like what your brother does. You know, I'm not talking about things like your brother does. But in my world, to give in meant to be hurt. So that was a pattern then in areas where rebellion could get a grip because the enemy would love to take that lie that if I give in to authority, I'll be hurt. If I give him some authority, I was hurt. But when I give him to God's authority, I'm not hurt. There may be a lie, a false feeling of powerlessness or hopelessness. We talked about that. They might believe, and this sounds strange, but if you've been sexually abused and rebellion has taken advantage of the lies that are there, submission equals making myself sexually vulnerable. I mean, that sounds so wicked even to say, but for many people... You know, that pastor telling me, you need to submit to your father, not knowing what was going on. Um, he was forgetting, like I said, the rest of the verses said, in the Lord. You know, the, the stamp of approval. I'm not saying that kids get to decide, well, I should obey this and I shouldn't obey that. But he was definitely asking me to do something that was against God's law. Rebellion gives me power or control. I think this is the enticement of rebellion. And you don't have had to have all kinds of abuse in your life to get sucked into this life. Rebellion stirs up lust for lawlessness. That's not a lie. That's sort of what happened. How do you submit to an abusive authority? 
again, it may step on some toes, and, you know, there may be, my perspective on all of this may not be right on, and that's fine if you want to help me to understand that. But I really, really want to give a caution against the idea that no matter what's done in the home, it's the man's castle, and there's a right to do that, and you have to submit to that. You have to give in to that. To me, rebellion isn't actions, it's attitude. How do you respect someone who's taken you to bed since you were three? Well, some of the things that the Lord has worked in my own life and I've seen in other people's lives, I put down here. Respect, in the, you have respect for the at, or attitude of his or her position. Um, my father um, was an alcoholic besides everything else, which is interesting even uh, being able to hide that from the church. Um, but as he got older, he got cirrhosis of the liver and is diabetic, continued to be alcoholic, also got Alzheimer's. So he was very, very confused. And he, in situations where he would be in a store, uh, if I would take care of him, I was taking care of him. Um, and as I would work, I would say, Lord, I do this as a sacrifice of praise unto you. I do this because I love you. And as I would take him to a store, he would really uh, say or do inappropriate things. And in the intensity of everything, sometimes the way I dealt with it is later on with one of my friends, I would almost make a joke out of it, not in my mind, not to make him look bad, but it just was so absurd. And it kind of helped, I thought, relieve the pressure to tell my friend this. And then the Lord said, um, one of the ways you can respect your father is not to make him look foolish in other people's eyes. What's the sense to say that, How what happened in the store? Um, there, there was That was one way I could respect his position as my father and still be very livid and appropriately angry like God is about what was done to what he did to me. Learn the difference between obedience and submission in the Lord. We already mentioned that. Resist allowing rebellious feelings to seep in. There's never an excuse for sin. So you can't say, well, see, I'm not responsible for taking on rebellion because people weren't treating me right. Like at work, your boss... Well, it's okay if I trash talk him behind his back and, uh, you know, make fun of him or, uh, or resist him or think he's stupid because he's not doing things right. Then he hits home when you start thinking about your employer. Guard your mouth and mind from rebellious comments. Are there any comments or thoughts before we go on on this? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good question. What's the difference between disobedience and rebellion? And again, I don't have a verse for it, but I can just give my, my thought on it. We said rebellion is an attitude, it's a defiance. If you look at Satan, like I said, his fall, he said, you know what? I'm going to challenge you for the position of God. I despise everything that is of you, God. I'm going to elevate myself in pride. Those are all attitude things. Disobedience can be events. The, the child chooses something. And part of training is teaching them to obey. So I don't think that every time a child disobeys, they're entering into rebellion. Maybe I'm not looking at it right, but I don't think that's true. You know, it's like they did these studies. They had like 50 kids. And they had pink cupcakes with sprinkles on them and a red jelly bean in the middle. And they had them on the table. And the lady came in, put them down. There were 25 boys and 25 girls. And she said, I have to go out for a minute, but don't eat any cupcakes. And then she walked out. Well, then they studied, well, what happened then, you know? And it was amazing to see that it was often that the, the personality, that the God-given personality of the child, they were different personalities there. They responded differently. Some of the more dominant personalities marched right up and flirted with death. They smelled it. They looked at it. Some of the more quiet, timid kids just hung back, but their longing for it was just as strong as the bold ones. And so then they just, when I took it and just kind of held it out here, you know, I don't see it, you know. And then, you know, and you know what happened. You know, it's like that cartoon that Chatty Kathy, it was like Christmas or something, said, so, okay, she's on a diet, she goes, so the first frame says, I'm going to go to the store, but I'm not going to go down to candy aisle. <laughs> then the next one goes, she's in the store, I'm going to go down to candy aisle, but I'm not going to look at the candy. And then, I'm going to look at the candy, but I'm not going to buy it. And the next thing, she's stuffing her mouth with chocolates, you know, at the end one. Well, that's what these kids were doing. They were flirting with this. And in in their level of maturity, some of them went for the cupcakes. Um, but I decided that maturity equals learning to have self-control. So if my goal, I, I mean, because kid, you, you know, if we were in that room and somebody, especially if somebody said, all right, guys, do not even look at the cupcakes. Well, guess what we'd want to do as humans? But as adults, if we wanted to obey in that situation, we would do everything we could at our maturity level not to even look at that. Well, kids, I mean, that's what training is about, teaching them how to obey. And when when a child disobeys, it's often, it's not willful disobedience. It's not an excuse that they forgot, but they honestly did. You know, or they didn't think through the consequences, like, well, what, or like the weed whacker situation, you know. <laughs> Does that help at all or no? Whereas rebellion to me is the upraised fist that's powered by our flesh and the enemy powers and the world powers our flesh and goes, 
I defy you. Mm-hmm. Oh, Beth, is uh, rebellion closely related to control? Can you explain that a little more? What you mean? Well, especially if you have uh, a child or a wife that's rebelling against maybe a husband or a father. Um, in the rebellion, is that a result of control and maybe the parent or the person who's in the relationship at the top is definitely trying to control them? Oh, are you speaking of like an inappropriate control or right. domineering? Yeah, domineering control. Yeah. Are, are they closely related? Or well, not? I think that's what that verse is talking about, where it talks about training your children in such a way that you don't exasperate them. And um, sometimes what I've seen, the dynamics that happen is, I know one family, and as the kids approach teenagerhood, the parents got really scared because they'd heard all these horrible stories about, you know, the terrible twos. They're just not in preschool. There's usually two years in a teenager's life. That's the terrible twos. And um, so they they decided that the way to, instead of becoming the coach and being less and less the outward control, but believing that their years of training in prayer had worked in that child an inward control that they could be more and more the coach on the sideline. They went the other way and started to add new rigid controls. And um, in my mind, when you when you have a team that comes in that obviously is just steeped in rebellion, the best thing to do is to forget meeting with just the team and meet with the family. Because it's a family dynamic issue. Not that the, that the teenager, I mean, you don't say, well, that's okay if you're being rebellious because this and that's going to, but again, what's behind it, you know, and, and usually there's other things going on than just the child. There are some cases, especially where those, where kids have grown up in an environment um, where they themselves at some point have chosen, have had access to and chosen things of the darkness. And you'd be surprised how many church kids are there. You know. And when they do that, there's sort of a, a straight line to hell on that kind of rebellion. That is a vicious defiance that has demonic implications in that. But those, I think, are more rare than where the family dynamics are such that it's not just the kid's problem. It's the whole family's problem. Mm-hmm. I have a situation right now at my church. Um, we have several couples that are struggling in their marriage. And one particular couple, I'm pastoring, haven't got to the part, to the point of counseling, they're not open to it yet. Because they've been through so much it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it hasn't been biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and anyway, the problem with this one is that the wife is a new Christian. She just accepted Christ about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, her husband cheated on her. Mm-hmm. And through so through his poor leadership, we're working with him too. But he's mm-hmm. he's trampled her garden, you know. And so she's very rebellious to the point that I had a big blow up with her right before this mm-hmm. conference. And you touched on something about the approach of ask a lot of questions. 
and and talking to my head pastor, that's the exact thing that he said. Mm-hmm. And I want to learn from this because I really triggered her and she just blew up mm-hmm. when I talked to her about, hey, just cooperate with us in leadership. Mm-hmm. Cooperate with your husband. And boy, she blew up. Mm-hmm. And obviously hit a nerve and there was an insensitivity that triggered her. Yeah. And I want to be able to be more sensitive and cooperate with her mm-hmm. at her point of woundedness. But you touched on the questions and I wonder if you could Maybe explain that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, it's not one size fits all, so you kind of have to look at, you know, the situation. But um, when she responded that way and just blew off the charts, um, saying to her, um, boy, it just seems like this whole issue just touches a nerve with you. Can you help me understand? That's a good can you help me understand is a good first part of lots of sentences. Can you help me understand why you reacted so strongly there? Um, well, I don't know, because blah, 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 you know. Um, and then asking another question, well, um, if you had to say what is at the core of your hatred or dislike or disrespect or whatever for your husband, what would be at that core? Where, I mean, were you once in a place where you respected him as your husband, where you loved him? And then she might say, well, before the affair I did, okay. Um, what did the affair say to you? Like, that you, you weren't enough for him, or whatever, you know, whatever else. And, and then, and asking all that, of course, you've got your prayer meeting going on inside, Lord. What's the next question? What should I ask? Um, and even just, there, it never hurts to, to, to get to the point of saying with him, well, you know, you've told me all these things here about us, and I know that God is aware of them, but would you be willing to just pray out loud now and tell God all that you just told me? So again, discipleship is connecting them with him so I can get out of the way. And in there doing that, it's amazing what happens. You know, where they start out and then God speaks truth and they begin to realize their their heart breaks in, in the sense of where they are responsible for for sinning in a relationship. They they can genuinely repent of that. But they also it diffuses. It doesn't make it so that their husband's affair has no effect on them, but somehow the toxicity that's in there is taken out when when they connect with him. Obviously, that's kind of my style of discipling, based on my personality and just whatever I've done. So I'm not saying that it always has to be the same, but that phrase, you know, I think of how many people, even kids, you know, if, you know, here's a guy with a weed whacker, you go out there instead of starting foaming at the mouth. If if the the parent says, I mean, this is like the last straw, you know, for the mother or for the father of the day, and it's like, oh my goodness, so they overreact or something. But what if right before they say, well, can you tell me, can you help me understand this? Did did you know that this was the wrong thing to do? Did you remember? Yeah. What was going through your mind that you thought, you know? It could just be like, oh, well, you know, my older brother was cutting the yard and he said I could help him, so I thought I could help him. 
And I forgot I wasn't supposed to use this, or whatever. You know, it was a disobedience, but just, just not jumping to the conclusion that, well, this person's problem is rebellion, and so just keep pounding away. Okay, you're sinning by being rebellious. Well, is rebellion sin? Yeah. It's like, just like witchcraft. I think the reason that he says that is because, as I said, it's a fast track to hell in that it opens up a person's life so much to the demonic, to the rage, and to all the other wickedness. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not directly involved with counseling, but supposing that in the position of being a, a teacher or a Sunday school teacher, a child trusts you with that kind of information that you're talking about, that something like this is happening to them, and you recognize that it's really true, you, you are relatively certain and no one really wants counseling. I mean, their parents don't yeah. want counseling, and they're little. Where is the safe place to put them? I've tried several things, and only to see them go back into their homes. Right. Well, in the first place, the, the moral obligation that comes once you know. I'm not talking about crashing through and just helter-skelter breaking confidentiality, but in most situations, I know in Colorado Springs, even now with the pastors, Legally, they have to report uh, abuse, sexual abuse, or other kind of abuse. But beyond that, morally, um, going to the, you know, making sure that the person knows, you know, this is so serious, I need to let some other people know about this. Unfortunately, it, it sounds kind of, uh, we're talking about resisting authority. It's a sad, it's a sad statement, like in Colorado Springs. The churches, some of the churches know who are the safe, social workers, and the safe police. For example, in our town, there's a thing that's just called sex with cops, and you can go and have a homosexual affair at a certain park with the cops there. Well, I mean, it, the wicked things that are going on, so you don't want, you know who not to go to and put this little one into their hands. Um, and I think it just takes real discernment to know. But the the worst thing to do is to do nothing. It's it's like the Lord an obligation from the Lord to do something. Does that mean, you know, yanking the kid out of the home? Maybe, maybe not, but you know. Any comments or Um, I have a more um, kind of personal thing with my son. Um, he he inherited my pride and my father's pride, <laughs> and I you know must we all be human then, well right? yeah well, everyone says well everyone has pride but I mean you know it's pretty pretty thick but um, anyway with my son he if he um, forgets to do something or I don't know if he he typically has strong attitudes about things mm-hmm. and we were talking about that earlier you know is that a sign of that's equated with rebellion, you know, is that always disobedience kind of thing. But um, whenever we get to the end of a conversation, no matter if it's just me or my husband or both of us, my husband and I are always left very confused. Like, what just happened here? Because he t- he tends to, out of his pride, or maybe you call it rebellion, or, or I don't know, maybe a little bit of innocence or something, 
he twists everything, it seems. But then we, we end up not being able to distinguish between it all. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, um, I don't know, it's maybe a complicated web, but if there, what kind of approach you take for that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I don't mean to put a 10 cent answer on a million dollar problem, but what if in that case the both of you are in prayer right then? and asking the Lord for discernment and to sort out and to give unity. Because manipulation occurs when kids start to realize, hey, I think I can work this from both ends. Anybody else before we go on? In the back there? Oh, no, the last question talks about crystallism. That's something that's happened a lot. I'd like to get your comments on this. We have someone in our church that is the son of a missionary couple. He grew up on the mission field. And so he came and is going to college here. He he worked in a lab in the college and was lent a master key. He made a copy of the master key. And he only used it to get into the facility when he should have gotten into it. He made a copy for his girlfriend. And... His contention is that he only used those to go into the rooms he had authority to go into. He never misused it. And we showed him where the rule said that it's prohibited to have unauthorized keys. He said, well, you have to look at the intent of the rules, and the rule was to prevent unauthorized access. So... You know, we brought it up as a submission to authority that he was not submitting to the authority of the school. And what happens where he grew up, there they didn't always submit to the legal authorities. Mm -hmm. They were in a country they weren't supposed to evangelize. And so he saw that occur where the parents didn't always abide by the laws. So I know it's deeper than just not submitting to authority, mm-hmm. but do you have any suggestions? That's in, was he in a South American country? It was in Sudan. Oh, okay. Because I've known some situations of folks that where saving face in the culture was almost more important than telling the truth. It was, it was almost the pressure to lie to save face not to bring disgrace on your family was more important. So it sounds like there's a cultural thing tangled up in that. But um, if he's so sure that his position is right, would he go to whoever the top guy is in the school and explain what he explained to you? Well, he's already been caught, and they've already kind of went walked right, through yeah, all that. Yeah. But the fact that he didn't, you know, if he felt confident that there was nothing wrong in doing this because... He wasn't abusing it, quote unquote. Um, then the openness and honesty to be able to go to the, before he was caught, to go to the leader and say, well, you know, I hope you know I've made a copy of the master key and I know I says I shouldn't, but I want to let you know, you know, often um, things that sort of have to be hidden and have to be discovered by accident, quote unquote, they, there's a suspicion about them. Why, why didn't, you feel free to go to someone and, and say that that's what he was doing and he didn't see any problem with it and checking it out with him. But I think you're right, the thing goes deeper in that, you know, should a Christian ever become a smuggler? 
you know, is Brother Andrew on spiritual. It's to smuggle Bibles into the Eastern Black countries. Well, if if the Chinese or the Chinese authority says you can only have one child, so if you ha- you have a for you have a pregnancy test at your factory every month, and if you're um, found pregnant, you're forced to have an abortion before you go home from work that day. And knowing that you can only have one child, and knowing that you have to pass your name and your inheritance and everything along to your son, if you have a girl, do you? throw her away because you are only allowed to have one child by the government. Do you submit to that government? Remember I was saying yesterday, it's real easy to um, to think in terms of principles without really going before the Lord and saying, Lord, what about that? What about what, you know, what do you think of Lord? What do you think of Brother Andrew, Lord? You know, if someone tells you to, to go murder somebody, that's different because that's definitely against God's law. But what if they say, we're going to starve you to death because you believe in Christ? Are we going to take your children away? Should you try to prevent it or just leave go because they're the authorities? I think it's an area, submission to authority is an area where we've had a lot of simplistic answers in the sense that, I mean, the truth is the truth. You can't change that. But um, I was listening to a missionary talk about the, the 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 idea that the word submission there, submitting to one another, um, is was in the in the military context. It was a term that meant um, just to bring order rather than to bring domination, and. Um, I think it's an area we really need we need to have clear in our mind and pray through because the people that come to us, the wives or the children or the husbands or whatever, we can give them advice like that guy that said, you know, if you're the Bible says submit to your husband, so if he's beating you and abusing the kids, just trust God and stay and submit to that. Now, some of us, I mean, are horrified by that. But if we believe that it's take whatever anybody dishes out to you without going to any recourse like this, you know, like if a child is being harmed, some, somehow that doesn't match with the character of God that I see in Scripture. So if that's my interpretation of submission, maybe I need to go to the Lord and say, you know, am I doing this right because... If that means submission, then it's so far from your heart. Would you, would you want mothers to willfully, basically by their passivity, give their children up to a rapist in their home? No. But then, how does that fit in with wives submitting to their husbands? And I think it's a place we need to be in prayer about. Oh, have I opened enough cans of worms? Of course, you know, let me remind you, I'm single. Single people, we all know how you're supposed to be raising your kids, you know. Just ask a single person. If you want our help to straighten out your family, go ahead. It's called spiritual arrogance of single people, I think. Looks good on paper, doesn't it, you know? 
do A, B, and C, and then everybody will turn right. Let me step on one more toe because I think it's important. Um, I know that some people believe if a child goes astray, it's the parent's fault because they believe if you do everything right, quote-unquote, if you homeschool your kids, if you take them to alert, if you go through ATI, if you do whatever's on your list, they will turn out to be God followers. I don't believe that. I don't believe you can support that in Scripture. It does say train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. To me, what that's saying is, in some people's lives, they take off the coat of Christianity that their parents have put on them, and they leave it who had been through all the very conservative, very structured family and schooling, and was discovered he was uh, sexually abusing his three sisters. Was that because the parents messed up? So, see, if, if the assumption, the black and white assumption is, if a kid goes awry, it must be the parents' fault. Or if the parents do everything they know to do, then the kid will turn out fine. If you put yourself in that box, then it's almost, that's what destroys families, basically. Because you have the parents then that either have to hide what they just discovered is going on in their kid's life, or you have the kids um, who, um, the, the parents' response to them is pushing them away because they have disgraced the family or whatever, however it's viewed. You know, I, I really think if if you're in that in that arena where you believe that if if the parents raise the kids right, they'll turn out right. They won't have out of red like babies, they won't go on drugs, they won't be alcoholics, they won't do all this. I think it's kind of scary when we look at the truth because the truth is everybody has a right to choose. I know godly parents who do everything the same way with three kids. Two of them are following the Lord. One doesn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Just a thought. Let's take a look at page M5 as we close here. We're actually going to close a bit early, so if we have any questions or comments or This isn't from me, but it's one of those things that, you know, makes me nervous. Um, because it kind of sticks on some of my toes. It's talking about hypocrisy. Check each way, either in the past or present, that you have pretended outwardly something that is not true inwardly. That's what hypocrisy is defined as. Pretending something outwardly, and letting people think that this is what I believe, think, do outwardly, that's not true inwardly. And there's three areas, toward others, toward God, and, and then it talks about moral hypocrisy. Pretending to obey parents while being inwardly rebellious, that obviously relates to teens and the kids. Criticizing others' failures when my spiritual problems are similar. That was like that guy that just would verbally and physically abuse his wife not being able to forgive her he said for her affair only to be discovered that he had had an affair 
and his anger toward himself and his guilt and shame were really what was driving that. Pretending to care for others while being bitter, resentful, and angry. Saying one thing with my lips outwardly, but thinking differently in my heart. Saying I love someone when in reality I hate them. Only telling the things about myself that I want others to know instead of what is true. I don't know if you know anybody who's come from an alcoholic family, but I've discovered in my own life, and others who've lived in alcoholic families as children, you learn to lie really effectively. Because your goal becomes to keep Dad from being angry. Because you don't want to know what happens when Dad is angry. So if it takes lying, you begin developing this style of lying. And I found that even as an adult, um, I don't like conflict and confrontation. So I tend to leave out parts of the story that I know the other person might get a little bit upset about. I think that really is hypocrisy because it's, it's sort of manipulation, you know, because it's, it's, it's putting a spin on it. You know, we want no spin zones. Being afraid of what others would think if they know, knew that I, what I am like on the inside. Protecting my, being afraid, I say, protecting myself, projecting myself as having it all together with no problems out of fear of rejection from others. Dishonesty in sharing my weaknesses with others for fear of being rejected. That's similar. Lying about things that happen to cover up what I do. Lying to gain the acceptance of others. Identifying the problems that others have, but not seeing my own. Asking others to do things I am unwilling to do. Toward God, pretending to be close to God when not desiring or enjoying a relationship with Him. Practicing religious activities to be seen and praised by men. Pretend, what if the ministry the Lord calls you into is in a way secret that only you know the sacrifices you're making so you never get the Faithful Servant of the Year Award at the annual banquet? It is, a, is it enough that he knows? Giving money to gain the praise of men or one right above it, pretending to be excited about fellowship with other believers when in reality only wanting to impress them with my spirituality, giving money to gain the praise of men, praying to impress others with my spirituality, fasting to impress others with my spirituality, pretending to be excited about service for the Lord when merely doing that out of obligation, pretending to live a holy life but inwardly wishing I didn't have to, Pretending to be a spiritual person when I'm really not. Saying I love God but not obeying what he commands in his word. Saying I have an intimate relationship with God but seldom talking to him in prayer. Obeying God because of a fear of what others will think of me. Making spiritual decisions based on others' expectations of me. And then moral hypocrisy. Pretending to have pure moral thoughts while yielding to lustful thoughts. Telling my spouse I am merely poor, pure when being unfaithful in desires, thoughts, or actions. And uh, the suggestion is made at the bottom to to go through the ones who checked and the prayer is, Lord, I acknowledge and renounce my hypocrisy as evidence through my, and then name it. I ask your forgiveness for my hypocrisy and choose to respond with openness, truthfulness, and honesty from my heart. 
next page, or actually page before, page M4, uh, there's a rebellion against God-given authorities. And then on M3, we're going backwards here. Lord, I ask you to reveal to me each air of rebellion that I have demonstrated toward those in authority over me. I am willing to acknowledge the rebellious attitudes that I have demonstrated towards you and others. I desire to be free to respond with an open heart and a godly Christ-like attitude toward each person or authority you've placed over me. Forgive my rebellious attitude and cleanse my heart. Please give me the proper response from a pure heart towards those people to whom I am to submit. And then right before that is another little two, one page saying, again, not for me, but it's how how to deal with rebellion. Well, we, we sort of took the topic of rebellion and went around the barn with it, and, and even in the area of how do you submit to a, an abusive authority. Should you? Um, are there any comments or things that you've seen or the Lord has showed you as you minister to people that you could share with us? Or any questions? Mm-hmm. They, they will uh, catch on to that uh, deceptiveness very quickly. And in reality, we're trying to teach, we're teaching them then to deceive rather than to love the Lord. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially if we're in a place of leadership like pastors or something where, you know, we just think, well, you know, i got to keep, i got to make sure that nobody knows that my kids are wrestling with this, you know, because what does that say about me? And you begin to worry. And, and then you say the kids pick up that just trying to hide and be deceptive on things is, is what's important. It's what other people think. Good point. Uh-huh. Oh, wait a minute. What a, the mic man. My mother had a illustration about human nature and children mother of seven children was going to leave for a while and both parents would be gone and she told her children, don't any of you get on top of the house or put a bean in your nose. When she came home, she had seven children on top of the house with a bean in your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded interesting the way she said it. Made a way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I often watch parents and... The parents of preschoolers are the most optimistic people I know <laughs> because they've read all the books and it looks good on paper and they've had really judgmental attitude about these folks in their church that have teenagers. They must be there not teaching their teenager right. Look what a mess their kids are. Boy, my kids aren't going to be that mess. Uh, and then somewhere reality hits that, um, you know, it's not as easy as it looks. It's not just... ABC and then, you know, money back guarantee that this is going to work out. And also, I've met a lot of parents who have such shame and guilt from choices of their children. You know, the parents feel ashamed. Like, well, I 
must have done something wrong. I just so as it goes, Lord, I say, Lord, you know, was I any part of this? What? And He doesn't show them anything, or if He shows them something specific, that's one thing. But just to carry around this this shame because something happened in the child's life. What were you going to say? Well, two comments. One is on uh, this one is just out of fun, but you were making a comment before that to ask you who was single about raising children. Uh, I remember when one of our daughters, we had a lot of problems potty training her. And um, my wife was struggling with it, and she went, uh, one day she met the neighbor's lady, and she asked her, well, how do you teach a daughter to use the potty? And this woman, just in exasperation, just threw up her, uh, her arms and said, I don't know, ask somebody who doesn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, about it. <laughs> but uh, on a more serious note about, uh, you know, rebellion and, and all these things, I fully, 100%, so, um, agree with the idea of asking questions and finding out what's really going on in the heart and to be so trustworthy to the person that they can share anything mm-hmm. and know that it's safe. In, in marriage sessions, what I've learned to do from John Regeer mm-hmm is you get this couple to face each other, look each other in the eye, even though they may not have done it for years, and begin to ask questions. And I ask the question for them. Mm-hmm. They repeat it to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, when I said this, what went on inside? How did it make you feel? And all of a sudden, you begin to see the walls coming down because now they're really beginning to sense, hey, instead of having judgmental critical comments or questions. Now, these are questions that are just asking to really know what's going on in the heart. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really the key, even with your own kids. That's neat. You see, the Lord doing even doing that, you know, like the woman at the well, um, if we'd been there, we'd have probably, you know, had a disdain for her, knowing her past, the reason she was coming in the middle of the day, and so even before we talked to her, she could probably tell by our facial expression that we considered ourselves above her. And then we would have given her a speech about, do you know how serious adultery is? Yeah, it is. But did you notice how often, in that case and our case, Christ begins his ministry by asking questions. Um, where is your husband? Why don't you go call your husband? You know, or... And then in other cases where he interacts with them, and then he says, go, you know, in other cases, go and sin no more. He's not condoning their sin. But he's going to a heart level with them so that they will receive truth in their heart, not just to rely on either a facade to keep the truth away or a cerebral understanding of the truth. Mm-hmm. I've seen um, in um, our own lives that many times what looks like rebellion uh, in a family could possibly be or probably is the Lord wanting to deal with those who are in authority, mm-hmm. not those under authority. Mm-hmm. And I have found, I, I really see in my own life that God loves me so much as a parent that he will not allow me to get by with the hypocrisy in my life 
will things in my own life so he will bring about circumstances in my children's lives that to others and even myself look like rebellion and it's really God loving me enough and loving them enough to help them see after God has done his work you cannot get away with it I love you too much and so you know I because I'm guilty of just looking at my children and the things they do or the attitudes they have and pronouncing upon that the word rebellion, finding later that either in my life or my husband's life, or even further back, generationally, mm-hmm. finding there is a sin there that God has so longed to expose in our lives so that there would be real freedom generationally mm-hmm. among my folks. Good question. And, um, and so uh, I just, I just think of it being quick to pronounce mm-hmm. Thanks for making the comment. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I was at a, my cousin's wedding. They said that and somebody did speak up. It was a terrible wedding. <laughs> if not, why not? we can take some extra time to get our head cleared from all the the stuff that we've been taught the last couple of days. And um, as I mentioned, um, I'll have the, uh, at the beginning of the question and answer tonight, I'll have that lady's phone number, those of you that want to register for the Barnabas course in in Dallas, and you can find out about that. And please sign up on our list if you'd like to get in touch with us and take our business cards there or whatever. Well, thanks for not falling asleep. I did notice one little droopy person, but I'm not going to point the finger at you. Everybody thinks, did she see me doing that? All right. Thanks for paying attention.